Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where sitting next to a dog on the subway for an hour, Pollock, is not the same as sitting next to a cat on a plane for 11 hours. No, we'll discuss it in a moment. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. We did not win Powerball, Mega Millions, or anything else. And shout out to the people in South Carolina who did, uh, but it wasn't us. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum Skill Network. And you can find me here right after Allison, right before Nahum's live lunch. It has been a full day of Karlbach here on the Karlbach Yard Site commemoration. Um, it was an epic jam in the AM. There seemed to have been a tremendous number of uh, comments on the app this morning, all thanking Nachum for the inspirational Karl Bach music here on a Thursday morning at the Nachum Siegel Network. But um, we're going to we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, I'm sure, during the live lunch. But most importantly right now, we're going to talk a little baseball because it's one thing for my Yankees to be out and it's a whole other thing for Houston to be out. Pollock? I don't know what you're talking about. How are we handling things? Nope. How about them Red Sox? Are there still baseball going on? There, there is. I will be completely honest with you. If it wasn't for the news in the morning, I wouldn't know because mm. you know, once my team is out, my team is out. Yep. Yeah, and um, because the East Coast team is, uh, you know, hated here in New York, it's not right. like anybody's talking about it. Correct. Right. There's no baseball buzz whatsoever. It's the off season, as far as I'm concerned. You wouldn't know that, right, you and I are at a timeshare and golfing at this point. Right. I have no idea. I didn't know. I don't want to say I didn't know that there was a series going on. That would be a little bit something. But I certainly didn't know. I mean, I'm not keeping track of anything at night. I'm not staying up at night to watch games. Absolutely not. Couldn't care less. Now, how do you feel about the Dodgers? You're happy for the Dodgers they've made it this far? You think they have a chance? Indifferent. Wow. Nothing? No predictions? No sports betting? No nothing? Season's over. Wow. So you're just following football now? Yeah. Texans tonight. Wow. Yeah, Thursday night football. Um, Who was it that we accosted last week on 34th Street who was wearing a Houston Astros hat? Just a random friend of mine. That was kind of funny. And and total, like like how? (laughs) Right. Well, so what happened was is that we had all walked out of Mendy's. As you know, um, our listeners were... um, were were invited or have been invited to join Mendy's in his 30th anniversary celebration where prices have been rolled back at Mendy's to 30 years ago. And um, we went last week to preview what was going on. And right. as many people know, we were also there on Monday. I, making my own salad. Mm-hmm. Props to me. Beautiful. Um, thank you, Mendy. And, um, and when we walked out of Mendy's and onto 34th Street, Yoni went to the right. Nahum and I went to the left. It was the end of the day. And all of a sudden, we see a guy with an Astros hat. And of course, because Nahum and I are crazy, we just literally start, you know, I don't want to say cheering or harassing, but somewhere in the middle, yelling at, true, true, yelling at this poor person who we had never seen before in our lives, who was wearing an Astros hat. And then, of course, what was the normal reaction than to yell at Pollock down the block and start screaming, yeah, I'm rolling, he's got an Astros hat at. Oh, now, of course, because it's Manhattan and that's just the way life works, Pollock knew the random guy on the street. Did you know the guy was Jewish? I had no idea. Right, we were just no yelling idea. at a New Yorker. That's right. all that was happening. Yeah, no. 
There was nothing uh, more than that. I happen to know him. Right. Of course, then I joked that whether or not it was Tawny, because I've never seen Tawny Pollock either, and I'm... It was not Tawny, though. I mean, he works on 34th Street, so it wouldn't have been the craziest thing. Right. He doesn't work there. Mm. He doesn't work that far east. Four or five avenues, I guess. Yeah. Six avenues. Yeah, yeah, you know how to count up there. Right. right. But he would not have been there, but still, um, Snuffleupagus has yet to make an in-person appearance. Correct. So we don't... keep it that way. Right, so it could have been Tani. We just don't In know theory. that it wasn't Tani. Sure, yeah. And this is a guy you grew up with? Yeah. That's hysterical. Sister was in my class. Did he, Did time. he? after we stopped yelling at him, did he say, um, what's with those two nut jobs? Yeah, yeah? I, I think he was a bit confused. <laughs> he And rightfully so, if we're being honest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just happened to yell at some random guy. And yes. To be a friend, but yeah. Right, but, but that's what we do. Now, I, the truth he is... He didn't know that, and most people on the street don't know Yeah, that. but I don't know that that's the case. Like, New Yorkers do that. Or I just, I do that, and then, you know, it's spread. Right. You know that I yell it. I yell to, towards, in the general general direction of um, people on the top of the double-decker buses. On the top of the double-decker buses? Yeah, tourists. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been with you. He has... Yeah, I, ha- I, I, I really just want to welcome them. I want to give them a huge... Oh, I want to give them a huge welcome here in New York. And I feel that this is like a classic New York moment if I just yell in their general direction and say, hello, welcome to New York. Hello, tourists. Hello, tourists. Hello, tourists. I've heard it. And uh, I mean, you're not my mom, so I'm not as embarrassed. Right. But then you feel for my kids. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I mean, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, As I say to my children, it's more to talk about at my shiva. Let's do the fortune cookie. Come on. It's a little dark humor. It's a little Jewish mother. Nothing. You don't think it's funny? I'm excited for the fortune cookie. Thank you. All right, let's do the fortune cookie. Um, Yoni, are we going to bother playing these numbers? It depends what the fortune cookie says. Oh, okay, so it depends on the fortune itself. Yeah. All right, sure. There is beauty in simplicity. In simplicity. Yeah, this is a five-word fortune. So I think that there's a double entendre here in that there is beauty in simplicity. Yeah, I mean, I like less is more. Like, you know, yeah. Like... All right. You want these numbers? No. Or you're not feeling it? No. Yeah. If it was something fancier, you'd be into it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, sort of, I hear that. It's like a cop out, like fortune. That's my point. Right. It's like a wink, wink, that there's beauty, you know, there's less is more than my whole fortune is five words. Yeah. <laughs> um, and none of these numbers are five. So I'm feeling that there's no connection whatsoever. Let's go to the national holidays before our guest joins us. Um. I'm not sure that I want to be a part of this, but it's Chucky the Notorious Killer Doll Day. Don't even know what that is. What? You don't know what Chucky is? No. It's one of those times I just don't know how we spend time together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's Read for the Record Day. It's also International Artists Day. Are you familiar with the artist Banksy? No. Okay. It's World Pasta Day, Pollock. This I've one's for you. Pasta. Okay, great. One out of four ain't bad. It's World Pasta Day, though you'll be having a salad. Is that what's on the menu today? Yes. Okay. We're having salads today during the live lunch. What type of salads? TBD. TBD, all right. Yes. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, and the inspiration for today's interview actually came from an email that I received from Hafter. As you know, I'm a Hafter parent. I'm also a member of the Youngest Role of Woodmere. And this upcoming Tuesday night, October 30th at 8 p.m. at the Youngest Role of Woodmere, there will be a, um, the beginning, I should say, or the groundbreaking evening of a Long Island initiative of Sacred Spaces. Sacred Spaces is um, an incredible organization that I did not know enough about. I certainly had heard about a number of different times 
um, you know, through through the work that we do here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And it is certainly something and a topic that we should be discussing more and that we should make our all, all of our number one priorities. Sacred space, sacred spaces mission is a it is a cross denominational initiative, and it is and its goal is to address abuses of power in Jewish institutions. And Shira Berkowitz, Dr. Shira Berkowitz, is the founder and CEO of Sacred Spaces. Um, she trains, investigates, and reviews policies for Jewish organizations around the world. She sits on the board of numerous anti abuse organizations, including the Academy on Violence and Abuse, Male Survivor, and Colva O's. And her writing is regularly cited as groundbreaking material in the field of abuse prevention. She will be there Tuesday night at the Young Israel of Woodmere, 859 Peninsula Boulevard at 8 p.m. And she joins us here this morning. Good morning, Dr. Berkowitz. Good morning. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for being here. And um, on behalf of parents everywhere, thank you for this initiative. I know you're the founder and CEO. I wonder if you'll take a moment to just explain how Sacred Spaces is different from other child abuse prevention organizations. So Sacred Spaces works to prevent and respond to institutional abuses of power of all kinds. So that could be against children. It could be against adults. It could be against the elderly. The initiative that we're launching and that we'll be talking about in Long Island will be a child safeguarding campaign. But Sacred Spaces is about any abuse of power. I'd say over 90% of what comes across our desk is sexual in nature. Uh, but it doesn't need to be. It could be emotional or other. Got it. Okay. So then, actually, so then let's take a step back because when you say abuse of power, you know there are there are plenty of us who think of abuse of power as someone who, let's say, takes a t- takes a bribe, is a political official, is someone who uses his or her top position for some kind of financial gain. But here, that's not what abuse of power is. It's any abuse of power that is used towards someone who is of lower stature. Right. Sometimes we do see um, financial abuses of power or any other abuse of power, and that's why we use this very broad term. Right. Um, and so you, know, you, you might see an early warning sign being somebody who's violating boundaries hmm. um, or abusing various um abusing their power in in a lot of different ways. And it's not always clearly sexual or physical. um, But if we miss those early warning signs, then we are most likely going to miss whatever else is happening that we can't see. And so we want to be asking questions about what do role models look like in our community? Who do we want in positions of leadership? And not just focused on what's the very worst thing that we don't want to see. And so that's what we're working to do is to help institutions put systems in place of healthy governance, accountability, um, so that this is about building healthy Jewish organizations. And through that work, we prevent the sort of abuses of power that unfortunately unfortunately, we see all too often. And I notice on the flyer for the upcoming event Tuesday night at the Young Israel Woodmere starting at 8 p.m. that it says we encourage all educators, social workers, youth group leaders, rabbis, nursery teachers, yeshiva staff, and all concerned community members to attend. I thought in particular that the mention of youth group leaders was so forward thinking. You know, we, we entrust teens 
with taking care of younger children. And we and the same thing is true with camp counselors, whether it's sleepaway or day camp. And all too often, this kind of sensitivity training, or I should say awareness training, um, is not done for uh, across all broad spectrums the way this is. Right. And we know that um, approximately one-third of sexual abuse that's perpetrated against children is perpetrated by other children. And so it's particularly when we have children in positions of power over other children that we need to understand that that is also a leadership opportunity and they need, um, in those cases, they need information about how to protect themselves from other people, how to be role models, and how to be uh, on the lookout so that their peers or they themselves don't cross lines and harm a child. Is there, um, let's just, uh, I was going to go forward with that to talk about um, possibly making ourselves either too sensitive or either um, I'm going to even use the word paranoid, but but before I even go there, I, I just want to discuss the importance of sacred spaces being cross-denominational. Talk about that for a second, if you will. Yeah, that was a very intentional decision. Um, this is not an Orthodox problem. This is not even a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. And I think too often this has been portrayed as an Orthodox problem and or a Haredi problem. And you see media coverage focusing on these communities. And, and that's um, maybe because it's more sensational, maybe because it's more jarring and you expect more of somebody who um, looks like they should be more pious. And so, okay, it happens for whatever reason, but it's not, um, it's not, consistent with the reality, which is that these issues impact every single community. And so this is about partnering with institutions and with communities. And when we began this, people said to us things like, oh, the Orthodox community is never going to be receptive to this. And in fact, we found that to be completely inaccurate. Mm. Um, That in fact, in many ways, the Orthodox community was more forward thinking, had been dealing with these issues um, for many years. The rabbis have been saying, look, we, we, this is real and we need to deal with this. And there were more organizations, anti-abuse organizations, thinking about this in the Orthodox community. Now it's a different world, and I really think uh, everybody's starting to think about this. Uh, and that's how it should be. And in fact, when we speak to the heads of different denominations um, and to Rabbanim, people are excited about the idea that it's cross-denominational and want to partner together. Um, and we very much believe that this can be something that instead of splitting communities apart, can be something that creates achdus and brings um, the entire Jewish community together. Well, we've certainly seen across many religions and many faiths um, numerous uh, just overriding stories and horrible stories and horrible accounts of abuse. I mean, we don't have to look too far, not just within our community, but obviously the um, the allegations and the revelations coming out of, you know, various, various dioceses um, across the United States and knowledge that people had above um, those those in charge, those you know, leaders, those communal leaders of their abuses to children and to others that have been going on for decades. I mean, we have to understand that this is, as you said before, this is not just a Jewish problem, and it's not just an Orthodox problem. It's a human problem. Right. And in fact, before I founded Sacred Spaces, I spent a year um, working with Christian colleagues, um, moved in to two different Christian communities, 
um, and studied and learned from uh, things that had happened there and the expertise and reforms that they had instituted. And after learning a lot about that, I thought, okay, um, let's go back to the Jewish community now and, and take some of what I've learned and, and can we put this together in a systemic way? And was there at any point a, um, you know, a, a shocking moment when you approached somebody in the Christian community and you said, I'm an Orthodox Jew, we have this problem too? No, I think there was more a sense of relief huh. that people felt like the same feeling, right? This is right. a human problem. And wait, you're dealing with some of the same issues and you're dealing with some of the same resistance and there are some of the same cover-ups going on. How can we learn from each other? How can we work together? Um, and I think from the people in the field who are doing this work, it's, it's a sense of not feeling alone. Um, and, and that feels really good. I think the, first, the one time I was shocked was when I was in Thailand doing some work on sex trafficking and I was outside uh, a monastery and I, I was speaking to a Buddhist monk um, and I think there I had a surprise when I was talking to him about this work. And he said, well, yeah, of course, we have the same exact problem. Wow. Um, and it was just like, it was, it was just jarring, I guess. No, I I completely hear that. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Dr. Shira Berkowitz joins us. She is the founder and CEO of Sacred Spaces, a cross-denominational initiative to address institutional abuse in Jewish communities. There is a, um, a an event going on this Tuesday night, October 30th at 8 p.m. at the Young Israel of Woodmere, in which educators, social workers, youth group leaders, rabbis, nursery school teachers, yeshiva staff, and concerned community members are all invited to attend. You can hear about how we can help safeguard our children and hear about the Safeguarding Children campaign. It is the first open source online platform for Jewish youth serving organizations partnering together to prevent child maltreatment. This is all very um, 2020. And I don't mean as in hindsight, I mean as in year. You know, it's not a 2018 concept that we have to work together as um, across the board and accredit different schools and different programs and saying we have treated and trained our staff to become aware of this. This is very forward thinking. How did you decide that we had to all take a step back and everyone had to take this kind of approach in, in order to safeguard our kids? Well, you know, a lot of this is in thanks to Adina Friedman uh, at the UJA. She, uh, the UJA is funding this campaign, and we've been working together for years to come up mm. with this idea and she kept saying to me, you know, sure, we have 600 synagogues alone just in this New York area. What about the schools? What about the camps? And what about beyond um, this small area? How are you going to reach the broader Jewish world? How can you scale this up? And really, everything that's out there right now, if you wanted to do policy development, if you wanted to do intensive training, it's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars each year to do this work well. Um, and that's not manageable for many institutions. And so we started to think about how can we bring together experts from around the Jewish and secular worlds to develop resources that will be tailored to the Jewish community 
and that will be widely available to everyone in a do-it-yourself manner. Um, and so that's, that's what we were thinking. Um, and nothing like this exists, not in the secular world or the Jewish world, where you can just access these resources. Um, and it's interesting that you say this is a 2020 thing, because actually, yes, it is um, a forward thing, because we're not asking every institution to do this all at once. We're, we're going to be asking institutions to do two best practices a year for five years with the idea being that this real sustainable change takes time, and it's not an all-or-nothing thing, and we understand that institutions have other things going on. (laughs) So here are tools. Let's get started. Let's do this together. And in five years, we're going to turn around, and we're going to look at a Jewish community that has new standards. We're parents know exactly what to expect and what to demand when they send their kids to school and where institutional heads are prepared and ready to meet those demands. Wow. So let's talk about that accreditation program, because I think that that is, you know, it, it is such a it's such a brilliant idea that when a parent is looking at a new school, there is this gold seal. And I'm using this term, you know, not to not to date myself, but it's it's a it's a very powerful, good housekeeping seal of approval kind of idea that we know as a potential parent that you as a staff and faculty and administration have gone through this kind of training. It has to be a huge sense of relief. So what what does this accreditation program, besides the two initiatives a year for five years, what does this look like? So um, if somebody were to join this campaign, um, at the end of it, and they do this well, we'd say that, first of all, everybody will get a certificate of completion and there will be an award ceremony. So um, a lot of positive reinforcement for participating. And at the end of that, or if they go faster and and are ready sooner, um, they would be accreditation eligible. So it's not an automatic guarantee because Mm. we can't possibly say we're going to accredit thousands of institutions that use the web platform. Um, We need to have uh, more contact with an institution before providing accreditation. So um, I'll say that the accreditation is still in formation. It's in the early stages. It's an idea. We hope that within um, a couple of years, you can expect to see this as a standard thing across institution. Um, and what that would mean would be that we'd be expecting any institution that's accredited to have done the work of having um, a standing safety committee in their institution that's always there, not a one-time mm. initiative, but that's there to focus on prevention every year as well as response and that they are trained We'd expect to see robust policies that guide every single daily um, interaction and operation of the organization. So they're not just, here's what abuse is, don't do it. And if somebody does it, report it. But they're much more extensive and preventative. Um, And we'd expect training for everybody in the institution. And finally, we'd expect that there would be some sort of regular evaluation so that these policies are not documents that sit on the shelf, mm-hmm. the living, breathing document, and that the culture of the institution is a child-centered, child-focused culture that is always thinking about safety for children. And an institution that does those things can then, of course, become accredited. And the idea would be that, as you're saying, this is good housekeeping seal, <laughs> people would look for it, um, or, or like a hasher, right? right? People would look for it, and, and they can Um, then no, this is an institution that has done their due diligence. Now, of course, the seal doesn't mean that abuse or maltreatment can never happen in this institution, but what it does mean 
is that they've put systems in place so that should that ever happen, um, they, are, they are prepared and that these systems are public so that the community can look at these policies, which are not the best kept secret, but are on the website. And if something happens, they can demand accountability to those policies. And if, God forbid, an institution didn't follow that, their own policies that they set, somebody could have a place to call now and could say to us, you're accrediting this institution, at which point we pick up a phone and say, hey, sounds like you have a problem. Mm. We're here to help you. Wow. Let's work on this together. The event is this Tuesday night at October 30th at the Young Israel Woodmere, 859 Peninsula Boulevard, Woodmere, New York. It starts at 8 p.m. Um, Dr. Berkowitz, I have to thank you, first of all, on behalf of parents and the Jewish community for spearheading this initiative. Um, I also want to thank you as a member of the Young Israel Woodmere community for bringing this to our community and having this Long Island initiative. Um, I also just want to make mention that I think the logo for Sacred Spaces um, is brilliant. And um, and while, as a person, and, and for those of you who go on their website, you can go to jewishsacredspaces.org and you will see their logo. And there is um, there is something very... Uh, warm and holistic and protective about the logo for sacred spaces that I think speaks to the major mission of the organization, but even more so because there is a mezuzah, a very visible mezuzah within that logo. And as a person who likes details like this and appreciates <laughs> the the headaches that go into finalizing details on a project, I just want you to know that I, I I, I really appreciate this, and I think it speaks volumes. Well, that makes me very happy to hear, and I'll give a shout-out to Talia Hardstark, who is our intern, um, who ran a logo contest and spent, as you're saying, many, many months working on that logo, and the mezuzah was a detail that was very important to us. So thanks for noticing it. No, not uh, at all. Nice. <laughs> not at all. Anyway, Dr. Berkowitz, thank you so much. Again, you can go to jewishsacredspaces.org for more information. You can also email Danielle at jewishsacredspaces.org to become involved or to host an event for Sacred Spaces. Continued Hatzlacha to you, Dr. Berkowitz, and good luck Tuesday night. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to That's Live here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, it, 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 I, I can't... I can't say enough about this organization. I can't encourage more people than I already am to be able to be there Tuesday night. It is imperative. And if that means you have to drive 15 minutes to get to the youngest role, wouldn't you? Drive 15 minutes. It is worth it to protect all of our children. We're going to bring up the music in the background. There it is. Shlomo Katz's Yismach, Yismach Melech is playing for you in the background. A full afternoon of programming continues right after That's Life. It is the live lunch hosted by Nahum Siegel starting at 11 o'clock. Throwback Thursday at 1 p.m. and Encore of JM Rewind at 4 p.m. Again, we're going to be highlighting our program that uh, aired Monday night at NCSY's StaffCon at uh, the Crown Plaza Hotel in Stamford, Connecticut. You don't want to miss that. It was truly an inspiring two hours. It's always a pleasure working with NCSY and the Orthodox Union. Tomorrow morning, join Nahum as... Oh, sorry, 7 p.m. tonight, the Arab Shabbos show, hosted by Mark Samick and brought to you by our friends at Kedem. I hear that there is a major Karlbach presence in the Arab Shabbos show, so if you want more Karl, Karlbach, don't miss that program. Tomorrow morning... 
<clears throat> excuse me, join Nachum as he hosts a very, very busy JM and AM from 6 to 9 AM Eastern Time. And at the conclusion, join Naomi for Table for Two at 9 AM. And then, of course, the Arab Shabbos Show encores at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Rummy hosts Saturday Night Seagull this month's Shabbos at 9 p.m. Matis hosts JM Sunday, Sunday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Again, this is Shlomo Katz's Yismach. Yismach Melech. Boy, am I having trouble with that. That's life, everybody. Go Dodgers. Bye, guys.